you and who will lie. And our lesson scripture, 1 Peter 1 25. And our focus scripture this morning, 1 Peter 2 1 through 10. Key verse You are a chosen race and a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And that's 1 Peter 2, 9. Now we're going to read responsibly 1 Peter 2, verses 1 through 10 from our uh, printed text. Verse number 1 reads, Rid yourselves therefore of all malice and all guile, insincerity, envy, and all slander. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. To you then who believe he is precious, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the very head of the corner. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light altogether. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So we're going to take the young people, amen, we're going to take the young people back to the fellowship hall, and we will come back in at 10 a.m. Uh, to start our all right, so y'all ready to start? What time do I got until? Like 10.30? What time I got? 10, 10 o'clock? All right, so, all right, so there's a lot of ways to approach this Sunday school lesson, so if just so you guys can know me a little bit better. I don't like how the Sunday school lesson's set out. Like, I hate how it got 10 verses, 15 verses some weeks. Some weeks even be 20. And, like, there's just so much in just one verse. Just one verse. That you don't need, like, a whole 10 verses. So, like, like th for example, there's many sermons to be preached on verses 4 through 5. Then there's a lot of sermons you could preach on 9 through 10. Like, just focusing in on it. So, this Sunday school lesson, you know, the title of it was God Calls You Into the Light, right? So, obviously, it's kind of focusing on verse 9. So, it's different ways to, like, approach this Sunday school lesson. Another Sunday school uh, lesson title for the International Sunday School lesson was Re Results of Our Call. So, it's talking about, you know, verses, uh, being a holy nation, or royal priesthood, 
uh, a chosen generation. So it's talking about verse 9 again. So there's a lot of approaches to the lesson. But I'm going to start off talking about, uh, if I had a title of the lesson, I would title, title it God's Spiritual House. That's what I would focus on. I would focus on, you know, God has made us into precious stones and he's storing up a spiritual house in heaven for all of us to be a part of. So that's the approach I'm going to take with the lesson. But for right now, I want to start on verse 1. Like, verse 1 is so powerful, and there's so much to take from it, and it's just going to get our hearts ready to receive a word from the Lord. All right, so you guys ready? All right, so with verse 1 of 1 Peter chapter 2, it says, Wherefore, laying aside all malice, all and all gall, and hypocrisies, and envies, and all evil speaking. Right? So that's the very first verse. This is how Peter starts off his chapter. So anytime you see wherefore and therefore in the Bible, what needs to happen? Everybody knows it's a Christian saying. Anytime you see the word therefore, you got to figure out why it's therefore, right? <laughs> and, so, and so it's talking about something previous. It's previous verses. Uh, Peter's basically relaying and relating previous verses, and he's bringing, he's making a point here, right? So if you look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22 to 23, it says some, uh, it says some stuff right here. So I'm going to go ahead and read, um, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and read it. First Peter chapter 1, verse 23 to 25. We'll just read that. Uh, it says, being born again, not a corruptible seed, but incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever, right? That's what Peter starts off saying. So he's saying that, you know, all of us are born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible. So that means the seed that's inside of us, that's been planted inside of us, is going to live forever. And so what's the seed he's talking about? The word of God, right? Who's the word of God? Jesus. John 1.1 1, 1 says in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word is God. It says in the Bible that Jesus was the word made manifest. I think in John chapter 1 verse 14, I'm pretty sure. So because we're born again, we have this seed inside of us, the word of God that's, that, you know, once we come to Christ and we believe it, it's going to live forever. It abides forever, right? This seed ain't going to go away nowhere. And so these are the last verses in First Peter chapter 1, right? Before we even get to chapter 2 for the Sunday school lesson. So verse 24 says, For all flesh is, is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withered, and the flower therefore falleth away. Verse 25, But the word of the Lord endured forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. This is what Peter says. You, gotta, you guys, look back at Peter, man. Y'all know Peter. Peter was the one who told Jesus, I will never deny you. I'll never deny you. What he do? Denied him three times. He's, Jesus even told you, man, you're going to deny me three times. He said, no, I won't. I'll never deny you. Then what gets me, you know, even though you fail, God still's ready. He's ready and available and ready to love on you and ready to forgive you, ready to give you another chance. We serve a God of second chances. And what did Jesus do when he first was resurrected? From the grave, what did he tell the women? He told Salome and all the women that was part of his ministry. It was Mary Magdalene, some other women there. He said, go get the disciples, but get Peter. <laughs> he said, get me Peter. And so Peter, I know how, he went back to fishing, right? So I know he was down, man, he was discouraged and hurt, man. Like, man, I messed up. And then Jesus wants to see him. How do you think that made Peter feel? Boy, that gave him strength, man. Like, man, this... Right, we serve a good God, a forgiving God. Man, he gave me another chance to serve him, and I denied him. Come on, man. So Peter, we'll see in, like, Acts, like, he was put in situations, in the same situations where he denied Christ before. Now he's filled with the Spirit, and he doesn't deny him no more. He's ready to, ready to toil and suffer and be persecuted for Jesus' name because he knows that, 
you know, in the end, he's going to live forever no matter what happens to him on earth. You know, just like what Paul said, to, to live is gain, to die is Christ, right? So it doesn't matter. It's a win-win situation. But like I was trying to say, the word of God endures forever. See, all flesh is like grass. So all of us, we wither and die just like grass in the wintertime, right? In <laughs> the glory of man as a flower of grass. Flowers die too, just like grass. So your glory, that means Kobe Bryant's glory. That's my favorite basketball player of all time, by the way. Michael Jordan, Michael Jackson, Elvis Presley. Like, there's a lot of great names in this world, right? A lot of great people. Their glory is like grass. You know, they're not as great as they were, right? Like, go down through history. Uh, John Edwards, y'all know Jonathan Edwards? From the 1800s, the best, one of the best 1800 preachers ever, like in the 1900s too. Like, y'all don't know who Jonathan Edwards, like they did, you know. He's not as relevant as he was then. Same thing for Beyonce. Give it about 200 years. Ain't nobody going to care about no Beyonce. Their glory is like grass. It fades away. Our glory is like grass. But you know whose glory is not like grass? God's glory. And this is what John starts, I mean, this is what Peter starts off saying, man. So he's saying, uh, Peter has just demonstrated the glory and the eternal character of God's word. That's all he's doing in 1 Peter chapter 1, before we even get to chapter 2. Peter pointed out to his readers that they have been, they, they have purified their souls by obeying the truth as directed by the Holy Spirit. They were born again, and therefore they were members of the body of Christ. As such, uh, believers, children of God, whatever you want to call us, have certain responsibilities and duties. And this is where 1 Peter chapter 2 is talking about. And the first duty, the first responsibility of a believer, of a Christian, is, is, is listed here. Laying aside these things in verse 1. Like when you come to Christ, you shall lay aside these things. And before I keep on going, I want everybody to know, if I say something profound, if something sticks out in the scripture, like bless everybody with what you have to say, like, I'm the type of person, if y'all see my YouTube channel and my uh, social media pages, I like dialogue. So I like bouncing off ideas with people. So if y'all say something, you know, and, and it's profound, it's a revelation you got from here, and then the Holy Spirit saying it, it's just going to edify me, and then I get to share even more, right? So we all catch fire together. So let's catch fire together. Don't be scared to talk if I say something. So, all right, so... Yeah, Peter's saying lay aside all these things. And Paul says the same thing. He says put off certain things, right? So there's five sinful attitudes and practices that need to be abandoned by a believer. And it says malice. It says deceit. It says hypocrisies. It says jealousy. And it says evil tongues. And I want to break down all of them. So all these, those things that I just listed, all those characteristics and attributes, they all belong to the old way of living, the old way of life, like Paul said. And they have no place in the congregation of Christ, right, in the Christian life. It has no place here, right? So when we come to church, <coughs> if you're feeling a little malice, so what is malice talking about? Malice is a general term for wickedness or any kind of evil conduct. It refers to being determined to harm somebody else, right? And so that's what malice is. So if you felt like that when you came into this church at all, <laughs> you got to get rid of that. Put that away. Lay it aside, man. And then what's the second one? All guile, right? So guile means, you know, it refers to deceit, you know, craftiness, treachery. So the Greek term came from using bait or a snare to catch various animals leading to their destruction. So Judas Iscariot, you know, obviously he would be an example of, you know, when he portrayed Jesus, he had, deceitful, he had deceitful ways. He was looking for a crafty way to finesse 
what the kind of life that he wanted to have in this life instead of, you know, surrendering to God and humbling himself before the Lord. Same thing for Delilah. She had, you know, wicked thoughts with, about Sansom and wanted to get her way with Sansom, right? So we should, as believers, we can't afford to be like that. Hypocrisies, man, like we should be laying aside hypocrisies. This is what Peter, Peter says as well. So Christians are challenged to have unfriends, so unhypocritical or sincere love and faith at all times. Right? Sincere, authentic, real love for people all over. Not a hypocritical kind of love. And <laughs> there was a Sunday school lesson. I don't know if you guys did it. One of my favorite Sunday school lessons I ever taught was Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 through 8. And this is a chapter in the Bible. Uh, that, that Sunday school lesson was called God, Honor, and Piety, or Piety that Honors God. So it's two different uh, titles. But with that Sunday school lesson, Jesus just told the the disciples and the, his congregation, he said, don't be like the Pharisees, you know, who give in order to be seen by men, who, you know, they, who pray out loud in a synagogue to be seen by men. And that was a parable Jesus told. You remember? It was a parable of a tax collector and a, a Pharisee going into a synagogue together. And when the, when the uh, Pharisee prayed, he prayed out loud in front of the window, because, you know, back then they didn't have glass windows. Their windows was like the Flintstones. You could... You know, put your hand out the window. You know what I'm trying to say. So, <laughs> so uh, the Pharisee prayed so the whole city could hear him. He said, God, thank you for blessing me. You've been so good to me. I mean, you've been better to me than you have that poor person right there or, you know, that prostitute right there. Man, she ain't good, but, man, you've been good to me. Thank you for being so good to me. Yes, Lord. And so <laughs> Jesus said he has his reward, you know. You want to hand clap from people, that's why you do certain things. That's your reward. If your motives and your heart ain't right when you do stuff for the Lord, then that's going to be your reward, whatever you're looking for, right? But Jesus said if you pray in secret, just like the tax collector, when he went to the synagogue with the Pharisee, because the Pharisee even said at the end of his prayer, Lord, thank you I'm not like this tax collector, a filthy heathen that can't ever get your grace. So, so when the tax collector prayed, he said, Lord, you know, I don't deserve anything from you. You know, I don't, you've been so good to me, and I don't deserve any of it, Lord. But I want to know you more, so can you please, can you please allow me to know you more? And Jesus said at the end of his, at the end of his prayer, he asked a question to the congregation. He said, who do you think received my love? The tax collector or the Pharisee? Everybody said the tax collector. Because you got to come to God humbly, right? And so Jesus, when he's in Matthew chapter 6, going back, Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 through 8, Jesus was just saying essentially that when you pray, you pray in the closet, right? You don't pray to be seen by men. You don't preach to be seen by men. You don't sing to be seen by men. If you do any of these religious duties, these relig whatever your spiritual gift is, if you do it for the wrong reasons or for the wrong motives, that's your reward. In the Christian life, we're called to store treasures in heaven. We're called to humble ourselves and make sure we're doing stuff for the Lord and not for ourselves, right? So that's what this lesson starts off saying, man. It's just talking about, uh, even talks about the fourth thing. It talks about envies, right? Oh, we're going back to hypocrites. Because <laughs> I really, really hone that in. There's a lot of religious hypocrites in this church, right? In any church, right? It's people that act one way on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday, you don't want to... Be around them. <laughs> They're a totally different person. The people who, in private, they act one way, and then in public, they act, act a different way. This, it's called a play actor. And that's what Jesus was talking about when he, anytime he talked about the Pharisees, the high priest, or the Sanhedrin, just any religious person in that time period, because most of the things that they did, they only did 
to show that they were holier than thou, that they were better than other people, and they didn't really do it with the right heart. And Jesus even called them white, whitewashed tombs. So we got to make sure we're not like that when we come into the Lord's house. So, yeah, okay, you guys get it. So let's talk about envies. Peter said, put away all envies. That's the fourth thing. This refers to feelings of displeasures because of other people's prosperity and the des desire to deprive them of what they have because you're jealous. Oh, my gosh, man. There ain't nothing to be jealous about anybody for. And we're going to talk about that in today's Sunday school lesson. Like, I got to hurry up and get to it. But <laughs> everybody has their place in the body of Christ. Everybody's a precious stone. You have your place in God's spiritual household. And only you can fit in your place. Nobody else can take your place. So your place is pretty bad and it's good enough. It's, you off the chain, right? So, all right, I'm, I'll talk about that in a minute. But the last thing Peter said get rid of is evil speaking. So slander or defamation. You know, uh, it pictures someone slandering or talking down uh, someone who shows uh, that the slanderer is arrogant, right? So, you know, you guys know what slander is. So people talk down and belittle people and talk about people all the time only because, you know, they do it out of pride and with the goal of deflating their own self-esteem. So we can't do that when we're coming to the Lord's house, right? You guys think read James chapter 3. Like, you got the, the tongue is the, the smallest thing on your body, but it's the most powerful. Like, y'all know James chapter 3 is bad, man. It talks about the, the little tongue, man. I think t the tongue is the strongest muscle on your body. I think I heard that before, which is crazy, right? So your tongue has the power to speak life or death, blessings or curses. So as believers, when you're around other believers, well, how should you should be talking? Speaking blessings, right? Because it's like a fig tree or apple tree. You, if you're a Christian, you need to be acting like a Christian because you're from the Christian tree, not from the unbeliever tree, right? So no more evil speaking, man. So, all right, yeah, let's go ahead and get to it. All right, so, look. oh, yeah. Okay, that's my whole point. Like, what's the life application for us, right? Because I haven't even gotten nowhere yet. But one of my points is, in light of what God's word is to us, we should receive the word, receive the word of God and receive it with a particular heart. You can't receive God's word if your heart's not in the right place. That's the parable of the, of the sower, right? He sowed, he, sowed on, he sowed on rocky ground. He sowed on thorns. He sowed on good soil. So where's your heart right now? Is it ready to receive the Lord, uh, a word from the Lord? Every time you come into the church, are you ready to hear of the message of revelation that you need for your life, that you need to apply that just relates to your situation? Because a lot of times people blame the preacher. They all, which that's, you know, there's, there's a lot of bad preachers in today's time period. Like they don't ever hit nothing. There's no substance of what they say, no power, right? It's not relevant with me. You know what I'm saying? They just be talking. Right. But when people are talking and actually saying something or even if they're not, did you hear the word? Did you hear what God wants you to hear? Because I don't think God wastes any situation. Wherever you find yourself, wherever place, wherever, if, especially on a Sunday, if you had a church like you're there for a reason. Right. 
God doesn't waste any moment in your life, right? So when we have a Bible study, Sunday school, or worship service, or just if you're just listening to a sermon, we should have a particular heart that is free of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking. This is how Peter starts off 1 Peter chapter 2. Y'all see this? This is crazy, man. So your attitude or heart is going to affect how you receive the word of God. So, yeah, you guys get it. All right, I'm done with that. Let's keep on going. <laughs> like, it's just so much to say with verse 1. And that's something else, too, guys. On my YouTube channel, Upload Past Crossroads, I have a, 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 a sheet of paper on all my social media platforms. we got to put it up somewhere. But I'm going to go, I'm going to be doing a whole series on this whole Sunday school lesson because i got way too much to say on this. And just, I don't have no time to say it. But anyways, let's, I want to talk about God's spiritual house, right? Do anybody else have something y'all want to add before I talk about God's spiritual house? Because it's really just focusing on verses 4 through 8 for the most part, but anybody else got something to say? Y'all ready to go? You ready to go? All right, so like I said, if I did my own thing with this Sunday school lesson, I'm going to title it God's Spiritual House, right? The Lord's House or God's House, something like that, right? So if you look at verses 1 through 3 of 1 Peter chapter 2, it's talking about that, you know, we are children of the Lord and we all need to grow. That's literally what it's just focusing in on. And then verses 4 through 8, it's talking about that, you know, we as children of God, we're, we're part of his spiritual house in which as spiritual priests, they offer spiritual sacrifices. So this is what we should be doing. We should be, we're, we're, we're the new priest now. We're the holy priesthood and we should be offering up spiritual sacrifices. The question is, what is a spiritual sacrifice and what sacrifice is acceptable unto the Lord that you should be given to the Lord that he called you to do, right? And so verses 9 through 10 is talking about, you know, God's children, as it talks about God's children being special people called to a missionary labor. So, all right, so God's building program. God's, he has a building program going on, and he's building up his church. And he's been doing it for over 2,000 years, maybe even longer if you count the Old Testament prophets and people like that. So this is the church of Jesus Christ. So this is God's building project, which he is always interested in, always building, and he's still not finished doing and he's adding it stone by stone every single day, year by year, century by century, you name it. So I'm going to give you guys a story, man. You guys are going to remember this story, all right? This story's crazy. It relates to the whole Sunday school lesson. Let's get to it, all right? I haven't got to it yet, but here we go, all right? So there's a haunted house called the Winchester Mystery House. Have you guys ever heard about it before, the Winchester Mystery House? You been there? Yeah. Did you go in there? Yeah. Are you crazy? <laughs> <laughs> Did you hear anything? Like, did you see anything scary? No, they had a seance room. They took us in every room. It's like a hundred and something rooms. Oh, so it was a tour. So it was like 20 of y'all? Yeah, it was a tour. It was like a Street of Michael Jackson when you first go in. Wow. It was nice. That's crazy. I never met anybody that went to the haunted house. Well, this ain't just a haunted house, right? This is a real haunted house. Like, one of the ones that they do on, like, Ghost Adventures or Ghost Hunters. You know, stuff like that, right? You guys know. So, like, this Winchester Mystery House. Uh, the owner of it was, her name was Sarah Winchester. She was the heiress, so a woman who inherits a lot of money of this whole entire mansion, right? Well, she, she didn't inherit that mansion. She just, in, in 1800, she inherited $20 million. And she inherited it because her husband and her father, all of them, they had this company called the Winchester Rifle Group, so they, they, they uh, sold a lot of guns back in that time period, you know, Civil War. And, you know, back in the olden days, you guys know, 1800s, so they had those stupid guns. That was their guns, most of them, right? 
So she took all that money and she went west to San Jose, California, like she said. And so Sarah Winchester, she's really superstitious. That's, that was her personality. And so she, met, she encountered a, a medium who told her that if she continues to build a house, she'll never die and she'll have eternal life. How do you think that turned out? <laughs> That's why it's haunted. <laughs> All right, so she kept on building for 38 years, 24-7, right? And so listen how many stuff she has. This is the house, right? She has six kitchens. Six! 47 stairways. Some of the stairways lead to nowhere. <laughs> 10,000 windows, 160 rooms, 2,000 doors, 47 fireplaces, 17 chimneys, three elevators. And the house still is not finished. Like I told you, some of the stairways went to nowhere. Some of the doors led to nowhere. So think and imagine God's spiritual house, kind of in that sense, but not that sense. Like it's just a continual building project, right? And so, uh, yeah, I'm going to go to the verses in a minute. So just imagine and think about this spiritual house for the pastors, though, as, and you just think about it in this sense as, uh, not like our, the, the, that spiritual house that God is building is not done yet. And every time someone comes to Christ, another stone, stone is being added to the spiritual building. And God adds another hallway or another staircase or another room, you know, in his building plan. Anytime somebody comes to Christ. Right. So I'm going to focus in on those things. So God's spiritual house. So God loves building projects and we just happen to be it. So in this passage in 1 Peter chapter 2, we see that there's a foundation in this spiritual house. And the foundation is none other than Jesus Christ, right? Then there's a building. The building is all believers, everybody that comes to Christ, the body of Christ, every member of Christ, right? Member of God. So it's us. The blueprint is scripture. The Bible It's the manual for life. And then the builders is two different builders. Could be more. You got God as the builder, the architect. He's the one over the whole building project. Or you can have Satan, right? And then obviously when we come to Christ and you're a preacher or something like that, you're a leader, right? So that means you got to make sure that God's blueprint, the master builder's building project, is going copacetic and going as planned, right? So, all right, let's go to verse 4. I'm going to go ahead and read it. So it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, To whom come and as unto the living stones, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. So coming to him as a living stone. So Peter's picture here is that God is building a spiritual temple, a spiritual house using living stones, Christians, those who come to the ultimate living stone, Jesus. So we're coming to him as he is the living stone. So Jesus is called the living stone we're called the living stone in verse 5. So in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, it says, Ye also, as living stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer us spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So God is putting together a collection of stones together to build a spiritual house or something like a temple. It's a new temple, baby, right? So, um... Yeah, the spiritual house shows that as much as Israel had a temple, so a church to go to and stuff like that, Christians also have one now. And the Christian's temple now is spiritual. So, and they themselves are the temple. So you don't need to go to church to be a part of the temple of God, really, right? You've got to believe in Jesus Christ, accept him as your Lord and Savior. Then you become a living stone, just like Jesus, your master, because you abide in me. 
I abide in you, and you'll know the truth, and the truth is I set you free. So it's all those scripture verses. I'll read one in a minute. But it is our union with Jesus that makes us alive. It's our union with Jesus that makes us into living stones. Because think about it. Are stones living objects? No, they're inanimate objects. They don't have no life. You can't talk to a stone and it talks back to you. A stone can't make any decisions for life and have a purpose and a plan for themselves because they they're an inanimate object. They have no life breathed into them like us, right? So it's just a stone, and that's the key. Everybody's just a stone without God. You're dead, you're inanimate, you're irrelevant, right? That's what the whole gospel says in all the New Testament, but I'm going to talk about Ephesians 2, 1, 1 through 10. It says, in the past you were spiritually dead because of your disobedience and sin. That's what Paul starts off saying, man. In that time you followed the world's evil's way. You obeyed the ruler of spiritual powers in space, the spirit who now controls the people who disobey God, so Satan. Actually, all of us were like them and lived according to natural desires, doing whatever suited the wishes of our own bodies and minds. In the natural condition, we, like everyone else, were destined to suffer God's anger. But God's mercy is so abundant and his love for us is so great that while we were spiritually dead in our disobedience, he brought us to life with Christ. This is how you become alive. This is how you become a living stone. This is how you, don't, this is how you come, uh, come from death to life, right? That's how you receive the victory. It's if you accept Jesus for who he is, then, you, then you're brought to life through Christ, right? You become a living stone just like he is, right? It is, it, that's something else too. We don't serve a dead savior. We don't serve a, somebody that's still in the grave like Muhammad, Confucius, just all the rest of the religions. Buddha, we serve a God who's living and alive and active right now. So it is by God's grace that you have been saved. It is in our union with Christ Jesus, he raised us up with him to rule with him in the heavenly world. We see in verse 9 that you're a royal priesthood, a chosen generation, a holy nation, a peculiar people. You're only those things if you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you come to Christ. That's something else I want to say, too. Let's just freestyle this lesson now. All right. So what do you do with Christ? What do, what do you do with him? You remember how Jesus said to the disciples, uh, he fed like 20,000 or 10,000 or something like that. He, and he kept on feeding people, right? And then uh, he said something that turned the crowd away, and the crowd left him, right? They, they, they didn't like what he said. They, they were only following him for the food. So they were following him for the wrong reasons, right? And so then he asked the disciples, are y'all going to leave too? And, Jesus, and Peter said, you know, where, where do we go to? Who's better than you? Who has the power of life in their tongue like you? Who's God in the flesh, right? And so the question is, is Jesus precious to you, right? That's the lesson. So I think it's verse 7. Where, where does it say precious? I think maybe it's verse 6, yeah. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, behold, I laid it in Zion, a chief cornerstone, elect and precious. And he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. So shall not be put to shame, shall not... <laughs> Ooh, that verse so bad. And verse 7, unto you, therefore, which he which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. So, like I said earlier, Jesus is the chief cornerstone. The cornerstone was the biggest part of a building project. Just like I talked about God's spiritual house, right? Guys, he's doing a project right now, building us up, right? And <laughs> 
man, just so much to say. But like the foundation of it is Jesus. He's the start of it. And with a cornerstone, if you guys know what a cornerstone, just speak up. But like with a ring, for example, if this was just this blue part of the stone, right? A cornerstone is the first part of what the stone's going to look like. It's the first piece. So you know how most stones, marbles, and stuff like that have different dimensions, right? If it's like a diamond or something like that. You guys know what I'm trying to say. So like the first side of it is what everything else is going to look like. And everything else, measurements, directions, angles, just everything else revolves around what the cornerstone was. The cornerstone sets the whole tone of how the whole entire stone is going to look. And then also in a building project, the cornerstone is literally the heaviest, the biggest piece that fits in the corner. And you have to have the cornerstone before you build everything. And then on top of that, the cornerstone has to be the perfect measurement because if it's off at any point, the whole building project is going to be off. Then also the cornerstone connects two walls the Jews and Gentiles, right? So it connects all believers of all time. Jesus is a cheap cornerstone. He's the start of everything. Man, I'm going to go ahead and spoil it, man. If you guys go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, man, I got, you see, I said I got till 10 o'clock, so I got to keep on going. I, I'm sorry, guys. I got to hold back on you, but whatever. All right, so, um, yeah, so I asked if Jesus, if Jesus is precious to you, because verse 7 literally says, unto you, therefore, which believe that he is precious. So if you believe Jesus is precious, you see what God sees. God came into your heart and showed you this. You didn't come to him by yourself. That's what Peter had to tell. I mean, that's what Paul had to tell the Corinthian church. A lot of Corinthian church got all uppity because they're saved now. Like, I know Christ. I know Jesus. I'm better than everybody else. And Paul had to humble them real quick. He said, what makes you better than anybody else? It's 1 Corinthians chapter 4, by the way. He said, he said you didn't come to faith by yourself. You're saved by grace through faith. In Christ, Christ did all the work. You didn't do anything. So none of us are perfect. None of us have reason to boast or brag. And even though you're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a chosen people, chosen by the Lord, that don't mean don't give you a right to brag. What are you supposed to do? You're supposed to offer up praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. All the glory and honor goes to God. It doesn't go to anybody else. Right. And a lot of us like to praise ourselves like we like to give ourselves a pat on the back and think we're all bad and in a bag of chips. You know, you guys know what I'm trying to say. We think we're off the chain or we think Kobe Bryant or somebody else is off the chain. And we praise men. We got idols and stuff like that. You know, sex is nice. You know, money's nice. Mansions are nice. Right. We praise all these different things when all glory and honor should be going to God. All praise should be going to God because what's going to happen in heaven and in glory when we get up there. All we're going to be doing is praising God. The only person who gets any praise and recognition is God. Now, all of us are places and have our place in glory, right? Because we're precious stones, right? We're part of God's building project. So everybody has a special place. But that don't mean you get the glory, right? Now, you get some recognition, but you don't get the glory, right? <laughs> so, all right, so let's keep on going, man. There's so much to take from this test. Uh, text like Jesus is a stumbling block to some people right it literally said in verse 8 he's a stumbling block in a rock of offense you know sometimes God does a work and you don't like it sometimes God has plans that you don't agree with somebody got saved you don't think they deserve to be saved some God blessed somebody that, with the blessing you thought you should have had and you're like God what the heck they're evil <laughs> so sometimes Jesus can be a rock of offense to believers, and he danced through a rock of offense to unbelievers. You guys know, what do you do with Jesus? That's basically what I'm asking. Ooh. 
That's basically what I'm asking for the Sunday school lesson. Like, what are you doing with Jesus? Is he precious to you? Because if he ain't precious to you, are you saved? No, you're not. Because he's the chief cornerstone. And I can't read the scripture verse. Basically, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul said to the church, he said, Jesus is the chief cornerstone. He's the cornerstone. He laid a foundation of how life is. He was with God in the beginning. He, he, because of him, we live, move, and have our being. These are all the scripture verses. All the Bible is prophesizing and talking about Jesus. So a lot of people get that wrong. Like, who is Jesus to you? He's just another prophet. He's just another, you know, he's like Buddha or Gandhi or something. You know, he's just another person. He was great. He, he said he has a lot of great quotes and stuff like that. What are you doing with Jesus? Is that what he is to you? Is he just a quote person? Just some great sayings? Because if that's the case, you're going to miss the mark and miss out on the great work that God wants to do through you. Right? You're a precious stone. In order to even be a precious stone and a part of his building project, you got to accept him for all he is. You got to accept the word for all it says. You can't deny a single thing. You can't add or subtract to a single thing. It ain't about you. It's about Jesus. Right? And so, man, it's just so much to take, right? So, um, yeah, where else should I go? All right. Because, <laughs> guys, I'm, y'all want me to stop? Can I, can I keep on going? Because <laughs> the kids, are we waiting until the kids get back? All right, cool. Hopefully they never come back. All right. So, all right. So one thing I was going to say is, you know, going back to Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, man. Basically, I was trying to say you and I are stones in God's work. God is building us. God is shaping us. And God is rearranging us. We each have a place in God's great structure, right? So in relation to connection with the cornerstone, Jesus, God is placing each one of us in our particular place in our part in the temple of his building, and God wants to be worshipped at his temple, right? So living stones have their place. Here goes a story for everybody, right? I want every single person to know you have your particular part in the body of Christ. And I need you to know this while me and my dad are here at this church, right? So if you're missing in your spot, if you're missing in your position, if you're missing in your place in this equation, right, there's a whole hole, a whole a whole spot of emptiness and void in your place, in God's building project. You're a living stone, right? You come to Jesus, you don't hoard your gifts from the body of Christ, from the church of God, from God's work. Are you kidding me? Does that say you love the church? If one member in the body is hurt, what should you be doing? Weeping with them. If one member in the body is rejoicing, what should you be doing? Should you be jealous or malice about it or envious? No, you should be praising God about it. Thank you, Jesus. My blessing is going to come. So if you're a stone, if you're a brick or whatever part you are in the body, God's building project, if your spot's missing, there's a gap that needs to be filled. So God doesn't say, you know, you aren't important and I'll just get somebody else to be in your place in glory. No, like you have your place. Your place is important. It needs to be filled and only you can fill it. You guys got me? So here at St. Paul, what should we be doing? Your role your responsibility, your calling, your mission, your purpose, your place, your position, your work, whatever it is, you, right? You are necessary, you are vital, you're important, you're wanted, you're needed, and your spot needs to be filled. So everybody got a spot on the team of God in God's building project. Everybody's important, everybody matters, and your place is very important, needs to be filled. So are you doing your part? Everybody got to be a part of this competition, man. I mean, a part of this work, right? Nobody can uh, get away from that. It's part of God's building projects. We're partakers with him. We're co-workers with him. We should all be working. A lot of people think they can pray and be lazy. 
And they don't, or some people think they can hustle their way, you know, to do things without ever praying, without ever without doing, asking God or, you know, or lean on him for strength. It's, it, it, takes, it takes both of them, right? You got to pray and you got to work, right? It's, it, and you can't get away from the work either. A lot of people, most people are lazy, so I'll just say that, all right? And so, uh, yeah, and then my last thing I'm going to say, because I know I got to end it. I'm going to keep on talking until somebody stops me. All right, so God is shaping us, right? So there's a story, and here goes the story. There's a man who is discouraged about the circumstances that he had faced in life. And, you know, he, he uh, lost his job. He, uh, things weren't going well with his family, so he's just in a terrible place in his life, right? And so then he just decided to go on a walk in his neighborhood. And while he, go, while he went on a walk, he saw somebody cutting a stone, but, man, he was cutting a stone like crazy, like toiling, sweating, profusely, like it's just crazy. He's like, man, why is this guy toiling so hard on a stone? He just kept on seeing this man measuring a stone and then cutting away, measuring, looking, then cutting away again. Like he was doing it too, too often and he was sweating. He was like, man, why are you working so hard on that daggone stone? What is it for? And so, uh, yeah, the guy uh, who asked him that, um, yeah, the guy cutting the stone told the man walk, and he said, I'm shaping it down here so it can, fit, it, it can fit up there. And he pointed at a church, right? It was high up on the hill, and the guy couldn't believe that he missed seeing that church. And it had a stone, a, part, a piece of that church missing. It was a stone, a brick, right? And that's what the, the whole point of the story. The guy was toiling and shaping that stone. Now, the question is, do you feel God is shaping you down here and getting you ready up there? That's what God does. He's shaping us. He's molding us. He's getting us ready and preparing us to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable on the Lord. Y'all heard the saying, store up treasures in heaven. How much treasures have you stored up in heaven? Right? Are you getting ready for the kingdom of God? Are you investing in the heaven? Because that's the greatest investment you can make. Everything else, if you're investing in things of this earth, it's going to fade. It's going to wither away. It's going to rest away. So what are you, are you investing in the right things? And that means with your work, with your marriage, with your children, it's with every area of life, right? Is your heart doing it for the right reason? So God is shaping us down here so that we can fit into the larger structure of what he is doing. So God must shape us so that we can fit in our place. So guys, that's the, that's the message for 1 Peter chapter 2, right? Here at St. Paul, there's a great work being done. God is here. He's moving. Now, are you doing your part in the body of Christ? And that's something else I want to say too. There's no member that's better than any other member. A lot of times people look at a preacher or somebody speaking or anybody that can sing, right? And they like, man, like, oh my gosh, this person's amazing. Like, I can never be that great. Like, you know what I'm saying? But every member is important. Every member is vital. So whatever your spiritual gift is, you need to be using it. Because you want to know something? You don't have to be, have the greatest gift ever to be great, right? I can use a few examples, like Dennis Rodman. What do y'all know about Dennis? Y'all know who Dennis Rodman is? Everybody know who Dennis Rodman is. He ain't even that great. Like, you know, he, he didn't score like Michael Jordan. He didn't dunk like Michael Jordan. What did Dennis Rodman do? Played defense better than everybody else and was the best rebound ever, arguably, right? He did his job. He did his role. He did his part. Uh, I'm going to name another name. Uh, well, you guys get the point. Scottie Pippen, too. Like, is Scottie Pippen as great as Michael Jordan? Some people would say no. But if you know the game of basketball, you're like, bro, he probably better. You know what I mean? 6'9". Like, come on. Are you kidding me? Like, he's, he was great on defense and offense like Mike. You know what I mean? If he didn't play with Mike, he probably would have been greater, right? But because they're a team and a unit, Dennis Rodman, Scottie Pippen, Michael Jordan, 
They all had a role to play. They couldn't win and accomplish wonders without the other, right? Same thing in the body of Christ. Everybody's role is important. Everybody's role is vital. So get in where you fit in, and that's the message, man. So you're you're. <laughs> and all that you bring to our church. I, heard, I don't know what you were saying, but I heard you say, well, me and my dad are at this church. This is what we're going to do. So we thank God for your vision this morning. Amen. So now we're going to have our uh, young people. They're going to come and do uh, Black History Moments. We're going to talk about 